guys, if you have your Bibles, go over to 2 Timothy. And it is a blessing to be up here. How good is it that Pastor Andrew is on sabbatical? Amen? What am I saying by that? How good that it's not because he's burned out. It's not because there's craziness. It's not because, as he said last week, he's about to get fired when he comes back. Amen? If you need a Bible, raise your hands. I'm telling you, I could hear in his heart last week, he's missing the services, he missed the baptism, but be praying because I have seen that guy go from being beardless to having a marriage, five kids, having darts thrown at him like you wouldn't believe, to standing strong for you. Amen? Be praying for him, his family, for branches. Why is it important as well? Because it's no coincidence that we have six weeks to go through 2 Timothy. And while our pastor is retreating to hear from God, we are opening up the Word. And these letters we're getting into, 2 Timothy, a little bit of education, they're called the pastoral epistles. That means Paul wrote them to a younger man, a pastor to pastor. So while our pastor is being encouraged, we as the church are hearing God's Word for what it means to pastor. Amen? Did you hear what I say? I said, this isn't just live action preaching with some good music, coffee, and donuts with a guy with a funny sounding accent. Amen. I'm the one speaking English. I'm from England. I don't have an accent. That's you. (laughs) What I'm saying is this is a place for you to hear, not did I like branches, not is this guy funny, not do I like all these things, but what is the Apostle Paul writing to this young man to encourage him? Why is this important? Because Paul's an older man in the faith. Paul's an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's writing to this younger man, Timothy, who he loves so much, and he even calls him a son in the faith. He knew his grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice. And what I want you to get out of this letter, it's a letter that's been written that I'm reading to you, is that at this time, this radical man of God, the apostle Paul, is in prison He's been abandoned. Many he has preached to and seen come to faith have left him by the wayside. And so he's writing to Timothy, this young man, to say, brother, it's going to get crazy. Stepping into ministry, walking as a Christian, living in this world that is not our home can be crazy. And all of us said, amen. He's writing out of love. And I want you to realize he's known him for 50 years. He led him to the Lord. This is someone that cares about him. I believe the Apostle Paul was aware he was going to be, be martyred sometime soon. And so he's writing as one of the final things he would be saying. It's like your dad or grandfather sending you a letter. I want you to know these things. So if you're there in 2 Timothy and chapter 1, we're going to dig into verse 15. Listen to how clear it is. You know that everyone in the providence of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of one Sephorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. And may the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. For you know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Chapter 2 verse 1 says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in the suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please the commanding officer. 
familiarly. Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown unless by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying. For the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David? This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word's not changed. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. This is a letter, so for me to go anywhere else and make it about something else, we're missing the heart of this man's call. And what does he start by saying in verse 15? He says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia deserted me. You know this, Timothy. You know that I preached among them, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. I took the gospel out forth. There was real revival. They came to faith. But now that I am in prison, now that I have been marked, they've rejected me. Paul's in Asia Minor under Roman rule, basically modern-day Turkey. And why has he been arrested? Just for proclaiming the gospel. Just for proclaiming what you and I say we believe. And what did they say of Paul's teaching? You read the book of Acts and they said the way these men preached, they turned the world upside down. The kind of preaching turned the world upside down. That kind of preaching made Paul a wanted man. But Paul said things like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ was a wanted man. Christ was captured. Christ was in prison, you could say. Christ was crucified. So Paul would have been thankful to hear, I'm a wanted man. Jesus himself said, because of the preaching of the gospel, many would become wanted men and women. Amen? He said, some of you will be put to death on account of me. You will be hated for my name's sake. And this is nothing new. These disciples should have heard this, but yet Paul is saying to Timothy, I preach the truth, yet these have abandoned me. And I'll tell you, the Bible teaches from the book of Acts to Revelation, persecution, martyrdom. The book of Acts, people are martyred, persecuted. Eleven of the twelve disciples that we know, persecuted. Throughout history, Christians have been persecuted. You woke up today getting ready for church. Hallelujah, thank you, Lord. But there's people who will be put to death today because of their faith. The book of Revelation, whatever stage you put in, there are Christians that are martyred. I say this because Paul would have preached this. They known how Jesus died. He's put in prison, and they say we don't want anything to do with him. We're going to unfollow him. He's not coming to the conference. We don't want to associate with that man. Why? All because he preached the gospel. I say that, and I believe personally, as I know you do, that the danger of our generation is the last two or three generations, we have been lulled to sleep with what? Comfort. I'm comfortable. Grew up in Liverpool, England, it was comfortable. Came to America, it was comfortable. Last two or three years, things get shaky. What's happening, friends? The world is happening. I wasn't made for Huntington. I wasn't made for Orange County. I was meant to walk with God in eternity. But Adam and Eve sinned, so would you and I. Amen? We would have all ate of that tree. And what the last few years have showed us is we're always on shaky ground in this world. 
Paul is laying his life down to proclaim the gospel. Jesus laid his life down for you and me and our sins. But these believers drew back. And what was so crazy about Paul? Nothing. He wasn't radical. He was just proclaiming the truth. If you go to Hobby Lobby and buy the sign, Romans 12, what does it say? Verse 1, I beseech you, brethren. Some of you guys did that, amen? I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, yes? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, that you and me, holy and acceptable, for this is your what? Reasonable service. It isn't even crazy, it's just reasonable. Being put to death is just reasonable. And it says of Paul that he preached and turned the world upside down, but he didn't. He didn't turn the world upside down. He turned the world what? Right side up. The world was turned upside down in Genesis 3. Sin, death, everything we're born into, it's beautiful. I appreciate the park. Thank you for the fellowship. We live great lives in this world, but the world was turned upside down, but the preaching of the gospel restores it spiritually. Amen? By the preaching of the gospel, the kingdom comes, and he's saying, Timothy, they abandoned me, and he even lists two people. For jealous and homogenies, they deserted me. People that he would have known, people that walked in ministry, people that were alongside of him, and now they've walked away from him. It's been famously said of them that they couldn't help their ugly names, amen? But they could have helped their ugly character. I mean, Phygelus and Hermogenes, if you're in here, forgive me, amen? I say this, though, because he's writing, and again, as an older man, Timothy, I want you to know this is what has taken place. I've been abandoned and now he changes gears to encourage. It says in verse 16, But may the Lord show mercy to the household of one Sephorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He was willing to be marked with me. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he find mercy from the Lord on that day. Where is Paul's focus? On that day with the Lord. Whatever you're going through, focus on that day. You know very well, Timothy, that he helped me while I was in Ephesus. Once Sephorus was a prisoner that was in prison with Paul, and he loved on him, and he encouraged him, so much so that once he got out of jail, went to Rome, a massive place with many prisons, he could have bailed on porn, took a life of comfort, done whatever he did, but what did he do? He sought him out. Rome was giant. There wasn't an Uber. There wasn't a MapQuest. You couldn't WhatsApp someone. What prison is Paul in? This man, a free man, went to a prison where the guy was in jail and was going to be martyred because of his love and fellowship with this brother. Amen? What that really says to us is I hope you understand the value of fellowship. When I'm talking to you outside, when I'm connecting with people and I'm around believers, how it encourages me. You'd be shocked at how many people within a church cannot fellowship. Maybe you were at a crazy church. Maybe you had a problem with this or a problem with that. And I'll tell you, sitting with believers for five minutes to an hour, unpacking life, the Spirit of God there, and God does a work. Amen? This guy showed up and all he did was hang out with them in prison. Paul probably felt crazy. He had joy in the Lord. But he was still walking. What did he say? This man often refreshed me. He visited him. That means he encouraged, he fellowshiped. No doubt he prayed. He wasn't ashamed of my change. You could say symbolically, whatever state a person is in, grace and mercy. He searched hard for me until he found me. 
He's saying, Timothy, I'm writing to you with some significance. They bailed on me, but this person, they fellowshiped. And so because of this, I'm going to tell you some things. He starts off in chapter 2, verse 1. You then, meaning unlike those who abandoned me, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul had led Timothy to the faith. And if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you know that Timothy is referred to as timid Timothy. He always needed to be encouraged. He always needed strength. He's meant to wage war concerning the prophecies spoken over him. But when I hear this, I put myself in Timothy's shoes. I need to hear be strong. I need to hear trust in the Lord. I need to hear be in church. I need to hear being encouraged. Amen? There's great ministry in this church. Go out to that table and find all the pamphlets of the different ministries and the things they do. People around the world. I see what God is doing in you. But we all need strength. We still wake up with butterflies, still wake up with teeth grinding, still wake up saying, Lord, what stage are we in in whatever book this might be? Amen? I mean, even this week, I'm preaching here, and a friend said about Tuesday, can you come up to L.A. on Friday night and launch this whole marriage night and preach a sermon? I'm like, yeah, I'll drive up. It'll be quick. I'll drive back down. They're Brazilian. Brazilians don't have a time limit. Amen? I'm getting home on Friday night at 12 o'clock. Yes, I've prepped this message all day yesterday in the Word. I'm with you today three times, four times this week. I'm in Texas next week preaching on marriage. Preach at a jiu-jitsu school on Sunday. Can we give it up for the Lord? Amen. I say that if Pastor Andrew's watching because we're going to get him on the mats one day. We believe God is doing a work there. I mean, the greatest submission ever was him defeating death. Amen. Elio Gracie couldn't do that. None of us. No one here gets out alive. I say that because he's writing to him to encourage him. And he's talking about the ways he was encouraged. But look at what he says. He says, be strong. Guys, are you still trying to be strong in your strength? Did you get up today? I'm going to just muscle through this. I'm just going to white knuckle this. I mean, we're really good at doing that in America. All the books, all the disciplines, all the podcasts, I'm going to be strong. He doesn't say that. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in God's grace, not your power. When I try to love my wife with my love, it doesn't work. It's got to be God's love. When I try to serve someone in my power, it doesn't work. It's got to be God's. What does that mean? You know what grace means. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. And listen, if you are taking notes, grace is freely given. When I got up at 5.45 today, both alarms went off. The cats came out running to me. I didn't go pray long hours to gain the grace of God. It isn't a power bar like a video game and I hit long enough and God gives me grace. It's there every day. If you're struggling, someone passed away, a crazy marriage, life, there's grace and it's free. If you're stuck in sin, you're wrestling, no one can help me, there's grace and mercy and love and it's free. He's saying, listen, Timothy, you got to know this. You could say this to Pastor Andrew 10 years ago or to some young pastor going off now. Be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. In your marriage, be strong. In your battle, be strong. In your depression, in your struggles, be strong in what? God's grace. And he challenges them then. This is what it's going to look like in a biblical community. You want to know? He says in verse 2. Guys, please listen to this. Underline things. Look at every verse. There's so much here that can literally change the outcome of ministries. The things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There's so many books, there's so many teachings, there's so many ideas, so many conferences. Those things are great. 
hey, it's the time of the year, big conference, all these things. This verse can define for you the work of ministry. What is Paul saying? The things you've heard from me, what things? The gospel, the apostles' doctrine, the word of God. Timothy, the things you have heard from me in the presence of others, Silas, Barnabas, Luke, who was there? Entrust to reliable people, raise them up, train them up, disciple them so that they will be qualified to teach others. You've got to remember he's coming to him, visiting him, or he's writing to him from prison. And what is he saying? Many have abandoned. When you know how you get around that, you do the simple thing. If someone was listening or watching this, there's four simple things we see. The Apostle Paul taught what he knew was true to Timothy and others. They learned it and related it to reliable people, and they continued with this message to others. This is God's picture of spiritual reproduction, amen? It's person to person. There's so many great ministries online, all debating each other, doing things, but there's nothing like person to person ministry. Pastor, why are you sitting in this verse so much? There's the office of an evangelist, but every one of us is called to evangelize. How many of you guys are in full-time ministry? How many of you guys are Christian? We're all in full-time ministry, amen? What do you mean, pastor, I'm meant to evangelize? Well, I'll give you some of the greatest evangelists from the last 100, 200 years. They evangelize a different message than this, but they're famous around the world for evangelizing something. When you hear the name Alistair Crowley, do you know who he is? Do you know who Anton LaVey is? They evangelized the world with Satanism. When you hear of a guy called Richard Dawkins, what did he evangelize the world with? The book, The God Delusion, Atheism. When you hear of Joseph Smith, what did he evangelize the world? When you hear of Buddha, Muhammad, the New Age, it's all evangelism. It's all being ministered to us day and night. That film you just saw, and you know what I'm talking about, whatever film it is, it's in there. Whatever music, whatever license plate, whatever gathering, whatever it is, this false gospel is going out around the world because all it is at evangelizing is that you don't need the blood of Jesus to get to God. It's all evangelizing. And you say, why are you going here? What is the reason for Paul's letter? To tell this young man who he loves, get in a pulpit, get around people, get in a fellowship, raise them up, serve them, and proclaim the truth. It's that clear. Read Acts 17, 18, 19. Paul shows up to churches and he preaches and we don't always see signs and miracles. Many believe, many want to kill him. That's the gospel. That's his reasonable service. He says all this and you say, Brian, this is crazy. Well, it's not. He goes further. He gives him three illustrations for how you and I should think about our walks. First thing he says in verse 3, chapter 2. So Timothy, you could say, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Join with me as a good soldier. He wants us to picture our walks as a battle. You are not battling for salvation. Yes, you work it out, but it's all a free gift by God. Don't get it wrong, amen? What he's saying, though, is in this life, Brian, in this life, Timothy or Barnabas, Silas, whoever you are, Pastor Brock, people in this room, whoever you are, you are meant to live as a good soldier. I don't know a lot about the military. I've never served. I have a lot of military friends, amen, at jiu-jitsu or in this church, and God bless you. Can we just give it up for our military, amen? But what do I know about the military? I've seen Predator. I've seen Full Metal Jacket. I have watched toy soldiers. Do not beat me up after this service, amen? But what do we know about the military? 
is that you get enlisted. Is when you go into the military, I see these kids at jiu-jitsu, they go down there, they come back. What's changed about them? Everything. You could say the old passed away and all became what? You could say their hair was changed, their outfit was changed, what they eat was changed, how they live was changed, their discipline was changed over and over and over. And you say, Brian, what are you saying? There's a dying to self. For some of us, just the things we carried from the past, to look at it from that lifestyle would help us. And listen to this, this verse in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Paul, again, writing to a church, says, Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Meaning, He dwells in all believers. He is in you, whom you've received from God. You then are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies, with your vessels. There's a tearing down, there's a letting go of the flesh, there's a focusing on the mission. And you say, Brian, it sounds so serious. You know what he said in that verse? Join me in the suffering like a good soldier. Don't just be a soldier. You might face suffering. When you think about how crazy this is, do you realize who the Apostle Paul is? I say is because he's in heaven as the Apostle Paul, amen? He's a Hebrew of the Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin. He was raised up under a rabbi called Gamaliel. Famous teachings. This guy shouldn't have been martyred. This guy shouldn't. He should have been put on a pedestal. He was killing Christians. Then he encounters the risen Jesus on the road. His life is transformed. And do you know what kind of ministry this guy had? He had all areas of the fivefold ministry. He was an apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And he's telling this young guy, wage war, fight as a soldier. And he also went through suffering. His own people rejected him. He'd be taken to Rome. He'd be martyred. And why is he saying this? Because he didn't bail on the call. He didn't get over what he called him to. He didn't get forced off his leave. He didn't abide in his rest. He stayed focused on the Lord and abided in the rest of Christ. What does he say in verse 4? as a soldier. No one serving as a soldier, and this is important, gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled. Why? Because our commanding officer gives us a call, gives us a command, gives us a way to walk following him. What does it mean to get entangled in civilian affairs? Let's say I'm a single guy, and it's Sunday morning. And I went out with my friends Saturday night. And I woke up now, and whose house am I in? Who is she? Who is that? What's taking place? I've got a headache. Give me water. Am I getting entangled? Let's say I'm diligent, and I want to defend everything, and I get it. Liberty, freedom, all the rest of it. What if I'm freaking out because of the news or what man or woman is saying? What if I'm distracted by so many things, not realizing the Lord allows things to play out? Amen? Am I getting distracted? I love conspiracies more than all of you. If you want to talk about it, I'll be on that bench after. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, Satan's the God of this age. That means the whole world is under deception as a conspiracy. Amen? Only those who are born again can see the kingdom. Don't miss that. I love, what am I going to do? Spend 15 hours watching Netflix or some good conspiracies? Amen? Write them down. <laughs> I'm telling you, I say that because the world's deceived. Because the whale's deceived and what has taken place, he's saying, don't get entangled. And for you, that could have just been a verse. You said, you know what, Lord? My struggle is that's where I go on Saturday night. My struggle is I'm distracted. My struggle is this, guys. Nothing is befalling us than what God allows. I say it every time I preach. We are invincible till Jesus takes us. Amen? We have the Spirit of God. If he can just get that. The Spirit that is in this room is who raised Jesus. From the dead. 
It sounds so distant, but the Spirit of God that raised him from the dead is in the room. He's who challenges you, convicts you, loves on you, gives you. And you go, well, pastor, you're going way down this with this metaphor of a commander. Amen? Guys, if you read the Old Testament, you'll hear of things called theophanies. Theophany is where God shows up. Theos just meaning God. The presence of God shows up. But many scholars will tell you the Old Testament contains things called Christophanies, where they believe that was Jesus. Well, didn't Jesus come about 2,000 years ago? Well, he was born 2,000 years ago as a baby, a fetus. Amen? Let me say that. He was born as a fetus. He chose to come into this world as a baby, a fetus. Just put that in our perspective for God's word. Amen? But he was around prior to that. He was around before this. And so is it possible Jesus is who was in the, the fiery furnace? Is it possible it was Jesus with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Did Jesus show up in the Old Testament? Well, listen for yourself, Joshua 5.13. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us or our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. What does Joshua do next? Joshua fell face down to the ground in what? Reverence. That's worship. If this was an angel of the Lord, he would have had to tell Joshua to stand up because nowhere in Scripture are you allowed to worship an angel. Amen? This person standing before Joshua received worship. And not only that, he said, What message does my Lord have for his servant? What do you think this word for Lord is? Yahovah. What message does Yahweh have for me? What message does the I am have for me? What message does God have for me? And what does he say, verse 15? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. The pre incarnate Christ, I have no problem believing that, is the commander. Is he saying we wage war to gain salvation again? No. But I think we've got to realize as we grow in the faith is that Jesus wants to lead our lives every day. He's not 2,000 years ago. He's not the baby in the manger. He's crucified, glorified, and he's in our midst today. And so when he says, don't get entangled, you should say, is the pastor today in Branch's church speaking about some things we need to let go of? He's always working on us our whole lives. Amen? You're always going to wrestle with the flesh. We still think sin is fun for a season, but time and time again, we need God's grace and mercy. Second thing, what does he say? Be a soldier. Be an athlete. Verse 5, he says, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Guys, what are the rules in Christianity? They're not really rules. It's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's love the Lord your God with heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be filled with the Spirit. Go into all the world. Whatever your hand finds to do, do as to the Lord. But here's what happens, and I'm amazed at how many people I spoke to in the first service. You can be somewhere in a community, have an experience, get bitter, get shook, have a problem with the church, and you distance yourself. And what he's saying is, the soldier listens to the commander, but the athlete competes according to the rules. When you start changing the rules for yourself like you have your own personal thing with Jesus, and you do, but as a body, there are certain ways we're called to live. I need you and you need me. That brings about humility. We're called to love one another as part of the body of Christ. Amen? 
The athlete has to compete according to the rules, dedicated, intentional, focused on the rules. What's the third thing he says? I love this. Soldier, athlete, the farmer. Verse 6 says, The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. The soldier's honored and respected. The athlete is celebrated, but the farmer? I mean, let's just be real. Who's the most famous farmer in the world right now? Bill Gates. Someone really said Bill Gates? You're right. He owns the most farmland, amen? Bill Gates has all this farmland. I don't know why. Conspiracy Central. Let's focus on the Bible, you see? Well, who's the most famous farmer? I don't know this farmer from that farmer. We don't see farmers on the cover of GQ, you know, with their $5,000 preacher's sneakers, you know, holding the lamb with like a murdered out tractor or something behind them. We don't know who the farmers are. And I want you to see what Paul is saying. He's saying life is like a military battle. Know the enemy's attacks. Know your flesh. He's saying it's like athletics where you run a race, but it's also like farming. There's no glamour in farming. There's no pouting in farming. If there was pouting in farming when it says the hardworking farmer, he wouldn't be a farmer much longer if there wasn't hard work. How you know that Paul loves Timothy is you couldn't just write this to someone. If I just found some kid here and said, hey, read this, you better work hard. And he'd be like, who are you? But there's people I've gained that responsibility, people born into your life. To tell someone you need to be willing, Timothy, it's going to be like a war sometimes. It's going to be like a race sometimes. You're a farmer. This is what you're doing. And I love what he says in verse 7. Please don't miss these things in Scripture. This is where you pause. Paul's telling him, reflect on what I am saying for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Even though I've told you this, you need to take this and allow it to sit in you. You need to meditate, pray with your wife, pray with your spouse, pray with whatever you're doing. You need to do that on what? Is this practical? The soldier's been called to endure. If a soldier stops fighting, he will not make it out of the battle. The athlete is called to run according to the rules. If he doesn't, he won't cross the finish line. He won't receive the prize. The farmer must sow of himself. If not, he shouldn't expect any kind of a harvest. And we get it. We say, okay, the military and athletics and a farmer. I mean, is there any higher example than this? And there is. And he says it in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. The military, farming, athletics. But Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Jesus who came, commander of the army. Jesus who came as an athlete running the race. Jesus who came not just as the farmer, but the good shepherd who lived a sacrificial life for you and I. And what I love about this, and it's important to read texts like this out loud, is because he says, remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead. Remember Christ Jesus who defeated the grave, who rose again, who shed his blood abroad for our sins. Amen? He could have said so many things about Jesus right here. And as I was getting into this week, I was reminded, and it kind of brought me to tears, I have sat with so many people since coming to faith, holding their hands, leading them into prayer, 10 minutes before they passed with my mother, with other people, some I knew, some I didn't, some grandparents, some parents, some younger than. I've sat with so many people and Paul is saying it's Christ raised from the dead. Let me ask you this. If you came to that hospital with me or if I sat with someone in your family and you had 10 minutes to hand them into eternity and I said to you, 
tell them about Jesus, where would you go? Would you say, let me tell you about Jesus? He fed the 5,000. That's crazy. Tell you about Jesus? He turned the water into wine. Let me tell you about Jesus. He walked on the water. No, Paul says he was raised from the dead. Because if that person enters eternity in Christ, death has lost its what? Sting. He wants us to know the focus is on the gospel, that death has been defeated, that you and I, if you've lost a loved one, they could be in eternity in the Lord. My mother's there already, or when we miscarried our child, all of these things, that's the promise we have. And what does Paul say? He's descended from David. What he's telling them is all these messianic prophecies, this is him. All the things in the book of Revelation, this is him. And so what has he said? Paul, I'm writing to you. They bailed on me, but once a forest, he was faithful. And I'm going to challenge you. Hey, it's going to be tough like military. You better run the race like an athlete. And you better be willing to farm. Hey, take sabbaticals when it's time. God bless you, Pastor Andrew. Amen. But you're farming and you're tilling. This is it. And he says, don't forget what Jesus did. He died in our place and he rose again. If you walked on water, it doesn't save me. You fed the 5,000, doesn't change my eternity. But he rose from the grave again. Amen. What does he say next? And this is why when you sit in the text, you get how radically beautiful and powerful the word of God is. I would have a hard time getting from the word. Can you imagine the kind of nonsense I'd be saying if I didn't have scriptures? Amen. Some of you who know me, amen, I'd be telling all kinds of things to you. Like, what is this guy doing to my brain? Thank you, Lord, for giving me the word of God to help with what might be ADD or something. Back to the text. What does Paul say? Listen, this, this, is, this is just radical itself. This is my gospel. If I told my son or daughter, this is my gospel, this is my life, this is what I'm stating everything on. All of this I've said, Timothy, this is my gospel. Why, Paul? For which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. I'm in this cell. I'm being martyred and hated because of this gospel. But look where his focus is. But God's word is not chained. I'm chained, but God's word is not what? When I calculate my life, my kids, my grandkids, their grandkids. When I calculate what's in the future for me, even things like jujitsu or traveling here or doing this and doing that, how much of my life is based around that God's word is not chained? How much of my life is focused on that I can continue putting God's word out into this realm? Why would I say that? Because that's why Paul's in prison. And the amazing thing is, and Paul knows this, it isn't just based on Paul. God's word's going to go forth regardless. Nothing can stop God's word. Amen? If you think about the Bible, it's the most attacked and bombarded document in all of history. How many times they tried to ban the Bible? Have they banned the Bible? Have they crucified believers? I mean, this is, we have this because William Tyndale, what was he, banned at the stake? We have this book because William Tyndale translated this. I mean, but the word of God doesn't stop going forth. What he's telling him, and here's radical, Though the word of God can't be stopped, what can happen is you can be deceived. If you just walk into any church, any podcast, any message, any song, just receive anything, that's on you. We need to be Berean. Why do I say that? Because the Bible teaches you will have ministers of Satan within the church. Three kinds of people in the church. There's the sheep who believe, the goats who struggle, and the wolves who need to be what? Shot. Amen? Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11. 13, 
Such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. They are in the community to preach another gospel. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It shouldn't be surprising then if his servants, and this is the word minister or deacon, masquerade as servants of righteousness. You don't need to deceive people. You just need to twist the truth. Satan said, did God really say? He said, do you know what God says? Because when people in a church going, well, all this stuff is happening, were you in the Word? Guys, there's many books you can read, but there's only one book you need to read over and over and over. Amen? He's saying that the gospel is always going to go forth, but many can be deceived. Okay, Paul, what is your point? I want you to know this, Timothy, verse 10. Therefore, son of the faith, who I love, you could say, I endure everything, all of this, all that I'm writing about, for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That I'm willing to go through all of this for people to hear, for the gospel to go forth. And some of you are going through stuff right now. In your work, in your marriage, with your kids, with yourself. Many struggles. You know what he's saying? Endure. Respond the best way you can. Lean into the Holy Spirit. I know it is difficult when the world is coming after you. But he's saying endure. Paul was able to do all of this for the sake of the elect. And then he leaves his final encouragement. St. Timothy and many believed this was a saying they would just say all the time. Here's a trustworthy saying, which means you know this saying. If we died with him, we will also what? Live with him. You ever just sat on that verse? If I died with him, I'm going to live with him. When did you die with Christ? Amen. Preacher, baptism. is isn't future. is isn't one day. I died with Christ 2,000 years ago. You died with Christ 2,000 years ago. The moment I believe, September 2004, his dying in my place was applied to my life, but his death has been applied thousands of years prior to those in the Old Testament. It's actually outside of time, that sacrifice. And what he's saying is, Timothy, if we died with him like I'm going to do in Rome, like many are going to do, over 250 million, they said in the last, what, 10, I mean, decade or so, if we died with him, we will live with him. That's a picture of baptism. For those who got baptized this past week, for the girl from jiu-jitsu that we baptized a week and a half ago, amen. It's a picture of going down into the grave and coming up alive and made new. Are you sure, Pastor? Romans 6.3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, that is you, were baptized into his death. Stop freaking out about past sins, past, present, future. Do not run into sin. As a pastor, anyone in this church, believers would tell you, do not head into that sin. If you live in habitual sin where there's no conviction, you need to get in the Word of God, get around some mature people to help you. Amen? But he's saying that back then, when you believed, you went into Christ's death. He says in verse 4, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In a nutshell, you and I were under Adam's curse. The first Adam, cursed, first Adam came, and in the garden when God said what happened, he blamed God, he blamed the woman. But the second Adam, Jesus, when God looks at the woman, the bride of Christ. He says, no, no, no. I'm going to take the blame. I'm going to die in her place. We don't relate to the first Adam. Now, if you are in Christ, then what does he say from this? 
He says something crazy, verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him, meaning in eternity. He's ruling and reigning. We are his priests. We'll rule and reign with him in whatever context that means. But then he says this, but if we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He's saying God's character, Timothy, is consistent. Those who believe are freely given this grace and mercy, but those who reject, I have to judge. Those who come to faith enter eternity, but those who reject remain condemned. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved, forgiven, born again. And you might say, well, pastor, what if I struggle in my faith? Everyone struggles in their faith. Amen? Peter denied him. Many fled. You might be wrestling. How many times does someone pass away and someone's like, this is the biggest battle. I'm mad at God. Okay. Just stay focused on God when you're mad at him. He'll work it out. Amen? This person did this to me, this situation. Okay. But if you are really in Christ, he is faithful. He is going to lead you. Because what do we read in the parable of the sower? That of the four seeds that were sown, only one remained on the good ground. The Bible says he who began a good work is faithful to finish. That if we're in Christ, because let's be real, what is the only unforgivable sin? Blasphemy of the what? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That means you're born into this world dead. John 3.18 says we're condemned already. And if we don't come to faith, receive of the Holy Spirit, born again, whoa, forgiven, then we're not going to be made new. You either die in Christ, born again, or you die dead in sin. And you say, well, what do you do with this? Guys, I didn't pick this verse. I didn't pick something so crazy. I mean, I'm pretty much worked out up here, sweating like crazy. Amen? But here's what we need to see, is that while our pastor is away, focused on the things of God, this is a picture for the church community, for your life. It's going great right now. Yeah, the world's gone bonkers, but really you can do whatever you want with your time. But in this day and age where there's persecution and we know revelation unfolds, am I aware my life is like living like a military style? That I'm living as an athlete? That I'm a farmer called to sow seeds? Am I aware of the sacrifices of Jesus? Because as I said, I believe we get lulled to sleep so easily with the things we enjoy. It can be good things that become God things, sadly, and become idols. So where do we finish a service like this? Just bow our heads for a moment, and I'll invite up the band. And here's what I want to do, is as we get into a time of response, maybe you're here and you really haven't looked at your walk like this. You could be Timothy in this picture. That's who we are. Paul's writing to us saying, do you realize you need to be strong? You can stand and endure by the grace of God, but maybe you've never really said, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to reach. I want every moment of my day to be able to be redeemed by you for those who are still lost. Maybe you're here and you've distanced. Maybe there's been things in your past that you've held on to and said, well, this is why I'm not part of this or not part of that. But you see Paul in prison, encouraged, and God is saying to you, I need you to be connected and planted to be fed of the things of God. Maybe you're here and you say, man, someone brought me today and this is blowing my mind. When I was a kid, I went to church, but you know, I get it today. I get that that one lie, that one lustful thought, that one whatever was sinful separated me from God. And today, my priority is getting right with God. We don't want to be bystanders in church because we don't see that in the book of Acts. But as we begin to worship in a moment, one of the things I love about branches, we have couples or people that go to the corners of the room and they are there to pray with you. 
So if you are here and God is saying, be strong, rise up, man or woman of God. You want to pray into this next season, they'll pray for you. If you're saying, I've carried some things maybe against the church or people, they'll pray with you. Maybe you're saying, I know I'm born in sin. I want forgiveness. It is a free gift. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're just here and you say, I have the craziest news. There's frustration. You wouldn't understand. Well, I don't need to because God already knows. But there's people who want to pray with you. I'm going to just pray us into a time of response. I'll come down to the front if you want prayer for me. I'm here. But if not, Make use of your brothers and sisters who love for you. Let them lay on hands and pray. Let's pray. God, you are so faithful. You are so good. Even you're using this, this text amidst Pastor Andrew being away. These many preachers who will be coming in. Lord, I pray it just positions us for the next season. The foundational things of truth, teaching the practical things, opening up God's word, letting love, grace, and mercy flow forth. But God, I pray for those in here tonight, for those who don't know you, they would come to know you. For those who have maybe been sitting back, feeling backslidden, they would grab a hold of the reins and say, Commander Jesus, lead me. Maybe for those who just said, wow, I've never even put my faith in him, today would be that day. But Lord, wherever we are, as we begin to worship, as we begin to praise. God, as you sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship me. That's our purpose. That's our call. That as we worship you even now, Holy Spirit, speak to your people. Let us have contact with you. People, lay on hands and pray. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.